I'm Jenny Mackler, and this is part two of interviewing staff at the U.S. Embassy to ask about how different cultures shape citizenship. First, I'll be speaking with Madam Palmer, who is the ambassador of the U.S. Embassy in Ghana. She has previously served in China, Vietnam, Kenya, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Taiwan, and Canada. Here's what Madam Palmer thought were some of the largest contrasts between these countries and the U.S. Actually, my first experience of sort of seeing the difference in culture and politics and the effect that that had on citizenship and how people view their roles was when I was an exchange student in South Africa and during apartheid. And um, portions of the population were denied basically any prospects um, for political reasons and um, or racial reasons, but those coincided with political reasons. And then contrasting that with the freedoms and the sort of constitutional protections that Americans take for granted. Um, and that's how I decided I wanted to be a Foreign Service Officer. Like I, I wanted to sort of represent those things overseas and then also use the sort of force of the United States government to, to push them um, where they didn't exist in other places. And then living in, in communist countries, um, people tend to view the state as something outside, um, whereas for us, we, you know, the government is by f and for um, citizens. And, and we feel sort of a responsibility about that, but also, you know, anger when something isn't done like it's supposed to do, be, be done. And, you know, we hold our government accountable in, in ways that citizens in, in communist countries can't. Um, because if you try to hold the government accountable, you got locked up. Um, in Vietnam, a teacher put a sign over a bridge that said, do away with corruption um, and the single party state and got, you know, got locked, got a 10 year sentence. Um, so people express things privately, but almost nothing publicly. And um, as a result, governments can kind of do what they want. Um, and I think we're seeing that now with Putin in Ukraine, you know, even as the war doesn't go like he wants it to go, um, there, there are no checks and balances on his power and uh, his ability to keep fighting. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I hope someday some, something changes about that. But meanwhile, he's going to ruin Russia um, for a generation, um, and there's nobody to stop him. Next, I spoke with Nicole, who is the current Deputy Chief of Mission in Accra, Ghana, and has served in Hong Kong, Nicaragua, Nepal, and Sri Lanka. This is what her experiences overseas have taught her about American culture. It made me realize how, in many ways, how insular we can be as a society and how that is a level of privilege because we are only surrounded by, we've got Mexico and we've got Canada, mm -hmm. but such a big country that you don't, we don't really have to worry about bordering countries as much. And it, you know, it allows for this level of insularity that I think is is difficult for anybody to really understand the broader context um, and to see outside of you know the, their lives um, or their their small town. I have never served in a country where I was the majority. To me the perspective of being a minority is important. Um, it has given me insight into what that might feel like a little bit, um, particularly in the context of the United States. And there's sort of a, a switch in my mind that, you know, I will be out even here in Ghana and I see everybody who doesn't look like me and for a minute I forget that, you know, and then I look down at my skin and I'm like, oh, I don't look like everybody here. <laughs> there yeah. is a minute where it, you know, you, you, you can understand how if you're in an, in, in, you know, particularly I'm thinking, I've been thinking about race a lot um, and mm -hmm. I've been thinking about the race in context of the United States and some of the problems that we're still struggling with and mm -hmm. 
to me that moment explains a little bit how in areas of, our, of the United States where it is majority white and that's the only type of people you see, that that is, I mean, that that's psychologically, I mean, it's bad and it just reinforces racism if you're not seeing um, different cultures, different society, different members of society, that it's, it, yeah, it just strengthens that idea that, you know, I've got this little bubble around me and I don't have to deal with anybody who's not like me. Then I spoke with Amy Wong, who grew up in California and who later studied in Austria. She has worked in Pakistan and South Korea and now Ghana. Well, I guess in California, um, especially San Francisco, being a good person is, you know, just caring about your fellow neighbor. Um, Austria is a little bit of the same, you know, making sure everybody has what they need to live. Um, but I think what I noticed there is between California and Austria, California has more of an everybody helps everybody else out, a neighborly thing, whereas in Austria, and this is not me putting them down in any way, um, it's more the people that they know as their friends and their community, that's who they stick with. Um, and Pakistan, it was, it was a surprise. Before going to Pakistan, I had this kind of preconception of what Pakistan would be like, just based on what you hear in the news, you know, it's all terrorism, don't like Americans, that sort of thing. Um, but once you get there and you start interacting with the locals, it's surprising. Um, they look past that, you know, I'm an American, I'm Pakistani, and then you look past that and you're just people. And that's what I found the most amazing thing. Like, we would talk about things that I thought were, you know, stereotypically Western. We would talk about Game of, Thron Game of Thrones and the ending to that, and I was like, I am talking about the ending to Game of Thrones in Islamabad with a Pakistani national. This is fascinating. <laughs> Getting a little bit more specific, I asked about some of the most important aspects of each country's culture. Madam Palmer emphasized the role that politics plays in culture. And I think politics is extremely important um, to culture. Um, a lot of traditional Chinese culture uh, thrived in Taiwan, which was democratic, and, and then was literally sort of canceled in mainland China or not allowed to, they didn't allow certain rituals, for good reason, some of them. Like, they didn't allow traditional funeral rites in China because the communist government came in and looked around and said, ooh, families are bankrupting themselves, and the children are either starving or not going to school because they've had these elaborate funerals to satisfy the ancestors, and so they banned those practices. So you can't have cultural practices where governments prohibit them. Our culture isn't as political, although I think that sort of sense of individual liberty and individualism is cultural, um, and it's sort of Protestant work ethic, um, sort of early settlers of America, you know, created that culture. But the other part that's really important about American culture, I think, is the melting pot. Um, the idea that my husband, who's an immigrant, is as American as I am. Um, and uh, that sense of belonging, which I think is really important. As Nicole spoke about her experience, she put a larger emphasis on discrimination and racism within different cultures. Nicaragua, it was um, sort of strange treatment based on darkness of skin um, mm -hmm. and whether you were traced your roots back to the Spanish colonizers versus in indigenous. And there weren't, there aren't that many indigenous left in, in Nicaragua. They're not a very large, almost none uh, population there. Mm -hmm. um, and then their feelings about people who had come in from Costa Rica and uh, complicated. Um, <laughs> Nepal uh, is really complicated because it's you still have got have a, a caste system that 
um, people battle against. And even we would see it at the embassy, we had intentionally, and this started before I was there, but we intentionally were hiring from some of the lower castes mm. and, and, and trying to diversify that way. Mm. Um, invisible to me because I didn't, it, there, it wasn't necessarily based on physical differences, features, or skin color, but it was based on birth and what caste you came from and real, um, real discrimination by sort of the Brahmin and Chetri, which were the highest caste, uh, against the lowest caste, which were the Dalit. Mm -hmm. um, and traditionally jobs had been, you know, the Dalit were the ones who picked up the trash, the Dalit were the ones who did all of the, the manual labor and all of the difficult jobs, and the Brahmin and the Chetri were the military and the intellectuals, and so mm -hmm. breaking down those barriers. And I would talk with Nepali friends, and they would recognize the barriers and the issues, but they're st they still weren't intermarrying. They're still, they were still marrying within their caste, marriages were still largely arranged, and so completely different set of issues. Um, Sri Lanka was interesting as well because we, I was there just a couple years after the end of the, the Civil War, mm -hmm. and so again a very large north-south divide and discrimination based on religion, based on um, ethnicity. Yeah. Then Amy spoke about what she noticed, focusing more on religion and its effects. Um, and just seeing how how much religion plays a role in their culture. Um, and this might be because I, I also grew up in San Francisco where religion's not that big of a role um, in our society. But just seeing that and like hearing the call to prayer um, five times a day and seeing how openly and proudly people wear their religion um, and just contrasting with how I grew up where you don't really do that. and. Like, I just thought it was fascinating. I've never lived in an outwardly religious country. And just being able to see that and experience that. And at the same time, they didn't judge me because I wasn't Muslim. And I thought that was, that was profoundly different from kind of the stereotype that you get from media and just what you think about what Pakistan should be like. So with Pakistani culture, it's kind of embedded in their daily life. Um, and they don't use it one way or another. It's just like, I am, I live in Pakistan, I'm Muslim, this is what I practice. Um, and there are religious mi minorities in the country. I've met um, Christians and other um, Islamic sects, and there is still religious persecution. So it's very much a part of their identity, um, religion. Um, which leads to, you know, discrimination, oppression, that sort of thing. And I've met, and the Christians that I've talked to are, you know, they're kind of relegated to the slum area of Islamabad. And then I think in contrast with U.S. society, we're not overtly religious. I guess coming from kind of a more neutral, like, environment that I grew up in, mm -hmm. it's it's very it's very weird for me to see religion playing such a huge role in some people's outlook and views of the world. I then asked about what it means to live in America as opposed to other countries. Madam Palmer began by discussing our Constitution and the Supreme Court. In our system, the Constitution is kind of above all, and the Supreme Court is the keeper of that. So the Supreme Court is able to pull society culture, um, kicking and screaming even when it doesn't want to, so for things like Brown versus the Board of Education, even some of the sort of gay marriage things that have been more recent, um, where 
individuals might ob object to that, but if it's inconsistent with the Constitution, the Supreme Court can force society to change. But I think everybody sits up straight. When you talk about what does America mean to you, I think everybody would use the word freedom um, and democracy um, and ought to, ought to include in that respect for f fellow citizens, although I think that's wearing rough around the edges mm -hmm. recently. To explain the contrast, Nicole compared a good citizen in the U.S. to a good citizen elsewhere. Do no harm, um, clean up your own messes, uh, and find a way that you can actively contribute. And, you know, as that, as my, and I, that's very simplified, but as my sort of personal idea of what a good citizen is, I, I don't know that that matches with what a Ghanaian would think would be a good citizen. I would, I would argue that probably religion would be a piece of that that uh, the understanding of a good citizen would include somebody who's devout um, and helps others, but there would be sort of that religious piece to it, whereas in my definition that's not a requirement at all. Volunteerism is not necessarily a universal value at all. Mm -hmm. um, giving is not necessarily universal, um, at least in my experience where I've lived. Um, you know, in, in some contexts, uh, so in Nepal, for example, the giving was very focused on the family. So you might take in a, for, a poor relative, you might help out within the family context, but it didn't, didn't expand beyond that. Like it wasn't about helping, you might help your neighbor, but you didn't think about helping broader parts of society necessarily. That's, I mean, I'm stereotyping here and I'm broad brush, so there's always going to be exceptions. But one of the ideals that we pride ourselves on or that we take to heart in the United States is this whole idea of individualism and, and you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and succeeding. And I think that may be in some ways counter to a more sort of communal uh, viewpoint and emphasis on extended family. Amy also contrasted good citizens in other countries as compared to the U.S. I think it's it, there's different approaches and different views on what makes a good citizen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think from what I understand, just from living in Ghana, um, part of being a good citizen is it's financially based. As far as I understand, you know, you want success is kind of seen through a financial viewpoint. Um, in Pakistan, less so of that, it's... Success is like being able to take care of your family and having a large family um, and being a good Muslim. And then in the United States, it's different ways, other ways of being a good citizen. We then moved on to issues within the U.S. This is what most concerned Madam Palmer. Well, I'm, I'm worried about the sort of schisms in American society. And um, I think that I, I don't, I've thought a lot about what, what it would take to sort of knit those back together um, so that we didn't have opposing camps and that there wasn't violence when people disagreed with each other, you know, because I think that's un-American. Um, and sometimes it takes an outside enemy. So I was really worried, uh, to be honest, in the, that there would be rhetoric that would kind of create that about Iran, for example, which I think would be dangerous. Um, and, and the ideal outside enemy that we had recently was COVID. And um, because the response to COVID became so politicized, we lost that opportunity, which I'm really sad about, um, because that should have been the thing that we pulled our socks up and worked together to fight. And we, we didn't. We were like making fun of people who wore masks. And um, again, you know, my, you know, my body, my choice and taking guns into state house. And, you know, I mean, it was just 
wrong in so many ways as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think universal higher education might be another way to, to get around that um, and access to it, like something that everybody could get behind. Um, and it's been this way in American society before, but um, I worry that we're in, a, we're in a kind of a dark place right now. Next, Nicole discussed the most pressing issue within the U.S. and what she would change about American society. I think we're drifting away from a vision of a world that's interconnected and at peace. Um, I think there's a little bit more of that. Um, and this is, I'm, I'm not with this administration, and this isn't, it's not a party statement. Um, and I think what happened in Ukraine is, is uniting folks a little bit, but you're also still seeing huge divisions, alignment between Russia and China that and Iran, which who would have predicted, but wow. Um, and so I think, I mean, I, I, I believe that the more interconnected we are, the safer we are. And so it would be getting back to a realization that we can't, you know, the founding principles behind the United Nations, that we can't do this on our own, that we need, you know, there's a reason to have those structures in place. There's a reason to try to enforce norms of behavior on, on countries and their interactions with each other. I, I think the one thing I would ask is that, that I would want is that everybody assume good intent on the part of whoever they're interacting with, you know, yeah. have a bit of grace and assume, assume good intent. And I think we've lost that in a lot of ways. Um, and at least in the public rhetoric, it's so polarized now that there's no assumption that we're, we have even the same goals anymore. Here's what Amy would change about American society. We'll smash the patriarchy. Women make up half of the country, and our view is our view perspective is just as valid as as men. And honestly, include us in the include w more women in the decision making part. Like if stuff affects us maybe talk to us about it, maybe include us in decision making, you know, we make up 50% or more of the population and we should have an equal say. And it's not my place to, you know, pass judgment, but at the same time, I am a Westerner and that is kind of the lens I view things in and I try to remove it and I understand it's part of the culture to have the inherent inequality. Um, but at the same time, it's incredibly frustrating to see play out in person. Moving on, Madam Palmer discussed some of the unique duties of American citizens. You know, there are people who died so that I could vote and so that he could, you know, he could vote and died or went to jail, you know, so that sort of that very minimal obligation is the sort of baseline, I feel like. But I feel like citizens have the obligation to be informed and to hold, hold their office bearers accountable um, and to be sort of politically active. Um, and, and active citizens, you know, report things to the police and, um, you know, pick up litter, you know, all those kinds of things that we think about as being a good citizen. I think we always, you know, talk about what what we're owed as citizens without sort of talking about the sort of co the corollary responsibilities of citizenship. That we believe that democracies that take care of their citizens are more stable and more prosperous, and we'd like to spend our money in those places. Um, and we also believe that the opposite is true. That if you don't have, you know, democracy, you don't treat your citizens well, you'll be unstable and um, maybe not peaceable. 
And finally, I asked each person what the most pressing issue facing the entire world is today. Climate is the the biggest one because, I mean, once you have global warming and irregular weather patterns, you're going to have, you know, conflict over water. You're going to have conflict over land that's arable. You're going to have conflict between herders and and farmers. Um, And conflict then creates all kinds of schisms that are exploited by bad guys. as well as you know, degradation, continued degradation of the environment. So I think that's the sort of outside enemy that we all face. Um, I think as we say that, we have to be balanced in how we address it. Um, looking at, at energy, I think energy is essential to economic development, right? You yeah. can't, and education and health, everything everybody wants, yeah. <laughs> and um, you can't, you, so energy and getting to a good place in energy, I think is like a three-legged stool. You have to have climate and climate awareness and environmental green energy, all that kind of thing. But you also have energy security so that Russia can't, you know, wield oil and gas like a weapon over Western Europe and the rest of the world. And also energy access so that populations and people in villages at the end of a dirt road have access to electricity so that, you know, women can have C-sections at night um, and girl children can study at night. You know, all kinds of things where you need access. And access has to do with price as well as infrastructure. So you have to balance all those things. Boils down to what I would want to change in the U.S., like mm-hmm. assume good intent. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think we are, you know, as we are increasingly interconnected, we are also still increasingly polarized. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so easy, and, and uh, you know, it, you, I'm not blaming social media, I'm not blaming, you know, 24-7 news coverage, but it is so hard, and it's abs- yeah, it's actually psychologically unhealthy for us to be able to digest everything that's going on all the time. And so what happens is you see all this tragedy, it's thrown at you all the time and you become inured to it, you become numb to it, it just, yeah. you know, one more catastrophe, oh, hundreds more died in this tragic thing that happened over here, and, it, and you don't, it was like the COVID death numbers, you know, and there were actually studies done that you can't, you can't, we can't comprehend millions of deaths. Climate change because it is affecting everybody unequally um, and it's not quite being paid enough attention to like I know there's legislation in the works and like the Paris Accords and all that but there's unprecedented um, famine East Africa even the wet season now is very weird here and it's colder than most people have realized and there's a heat wave also throughout the United States California is constantly on fire Europe is on fire now, you know, the ice caps are melting at a far higher rate than previously before, um, and that will lead, that is, that will affect everything, like every single country will face some sort of issue related to climate change, and unequally, for better or for worse, like people will respond to it differently depending on the wealth of the country, the resources, that sort of thing, but at the end of the day, this is one planet. Climate change is is going to affect everybody, um, and it might not be seen. It might not be as urgent in some parts of the world, but other parts of the world, like the global south, like it's already being felt. Um, and I think we ignore it at our peril. I'd like to thank Ambassador Palmer, Nicole Trulick, and Amy Wong for taking part in this podcast. Thanks for listening.